Billy Idol. Mm. He made me work. Hey, man, that's not good enough. Give me a better question. <laughs> you just I, straight up call your questions yeah, up. Yeah, I said, Billy, give me a better answer. <laughs> give me a better answer. The goal is to still make great radio. Put in the time. Do the work. I associated laughing with radio, and that's kind of why I always wanted to be a part of it. In this business, we forget just how great it is. This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. This week on the show, it's Howard Manshot from 92.1 City. How you doing, man? You know what? I am, and I mean this, uh, it is November. I am so blessed. Uh, It's been a year from hell, but I am blessed. I want to go all the way back. No, you you don't. You don't become. No, you don't. I do, though. I think this is going to be an interesting ride. All the way back. You don't become as immersed and knowledgeable in music as you are unless you start at a young age. When did you first really start to develop your love of music? I think probably five or six. Really? Yeah. And was that like, did you guys have albums around the house? Was it listening to the radio? What drew you in? Make a long story short that um, I was brought up by my grandparents and uh, they just listened to radio and radio. And I was a child of the 50s. I must have just heard something that just called my name. Just something that just spoke to me. And I just followed that, followed that path. Can you remember any of the, the broadcasters that you used to listen to when you were that age? Um, I used to listen to, well, not in the 50s. I wouldn't remember any of this. This is the latter part of the 50s. But I remember some guys early in the 60s. And uh, City FM was, uh, this is before City FM, but there was CKY. And CKY had some American broadcasters that were like the Jimi Hendrix the Jimmy Page, like guys that were gods, that painted pictures, the guys that had the pipes you're listening to. <laughs> and they just they just spoke to me. And I was able to, I uh, had a transistor radio, and I hope some people remember what that is. had a transistor radio, and I was able to listen to WLS Chicago. And I would hear some announcers there, and they just they just touched my soul. So did you know at a young age, like, was there any other career considerations or was radio going to be your jam? Well, let me say this to you. I'm still looking to find out what my (laughs) career is going to be. The clock is winding down. Um, I hope I figure it out soon. (laughs) I believe in you. (laughs) Thank you. That I'll figure it out soon. So I hope I can believe in myself. (laughs) I want to honestly... Not to make light of it, I want to find out what I am going to do in life. Yeah? Yeah. Like nowadays, someone comes through, they go to college or university, they go to a broadcasting school, and that usually leads to some sort of work placement, an internship, or maybe uh, a job in a small town. How did you get into the industry, as it were? Uh, In all honesty, I had an angel. And what do I mean by that? Um, I was working in my 20s, and I was doing some career paths that I thought would be of an adventure. Right. And I had an opportunity to uh, do something at the University of Manitoba, the radio station there, which I said, I'm all over it. I'm all, I'm all in. Like, I'm all in. (laughs) Anyway, thankfully, there was a program director at City FM that thought I had something. Who was that program director? Gary Christian. Okay. Gary Christian, God bless his soul. I'm going to cry. was the best coach I've ever had. Really? The best coach that I ever, ever had. What made him so good? Brutally honest. 
inspirational, gave a compliment when he had to. I'd be, well, this is jumping here and there, pre devices, so day of, uh, of pay phones. I'm working one Saturday night and he's driving through Winnipeg and he heard a break and he makes a point of finding a pay phone, phones him and says, hey man, hey man, and that's, he never called you by your name, hey man, that was effing killer radio. <laughs> Go out and make this the best show ever. Wow. He knew how to inspire. And don't get me wrong, when you needed tough love, he was there. He was there. He just, he was an extremely creative guy that just thought big and knew how to make you feel good. It's such a, a dichotomy between that and like modern radio where everybody's got a, the most overly connected device in their very own pocket, but you still won't really hear, especially in the middle of a show, unless you know a PD wants to call and go, what the fuck was that? You know, now it's usually you might get an email or maybe there's a text or something at some point. But the idea of a guy being out in his car and pulling over to a payphone, scrambling for change just to tell you that he had heard something you did and was just in love with it. Like make your night and you oh, yeah. ride that wave yeah. and you want to go to the wall for that guy, that extra, extra mile. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry. <laughs> I'm going to cry. And you, you, I used to phone him every year at Christmas. He's since retired. Right. And Howard, enough of the thank yous. I says, <laughs> I won't stop. I won't stop. You're my guy. He took me out of the minor leagues. When you were at the University of Manitoba, was your show as music-focused, music, music heavy? Rock and roll and radio, play whatever you wanted to play. God, that sounds like, for you, that sounds dangerous. It was dangerous. And one of the, and it's funny that I was thinking of this yesterday, one of my first guests, and he's still around, Mr. Kim Mitchell. Really? Yeah, one of my first guests. At the U of M? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How'd you pull that off? Uh, he was in a band called Max Webster. Yeah. And it, their infancy, and they would go anywhere and everywhere. They obviously must have had a Winnipeg gig, so he had been kind enough to come down and just, like, yeah, he was cool, and I'd just, hey, if all these guys are cool like this, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I imagine booking guests back then must have been a lot different now, because now, right, you've got the email address of a publicist or a label rep, and you go through them, and they go through someone else, and eventually gets to the band, weaves its way back with a yes or no, but... You know, back then, it's just you and a, and a landline and a phone book and a hope and a prayer trying to get a hold of well, some of these people. Well, uh, they had a different landscape. There were record companies. Yeah. And record companies had reps here. And if you were going to the wall and playing a new band that was not receiving terrestrial airplay on mm. the commercial stations, right. and you were going to champion them. And we had an audience, mm -hmm. not big, but we had an audience. It was something like akin to an underground radio. Here's a chance. Let's do something. So how long uh, did you do the university show before you got picked up to come to city? Two years. I did. Uh, I started off doing once a week at night, and then I was able to do a afternoon show, and that's when it just, that's when I, hey, I felt something. Do you have any recordings, any reels, any tape of those old shows from well, the 70s? Well, I'll tell you a horror story. Uh, oh, I, had no. a, I had a breaking in my house, and somebody stole things that, mean nothing to them oh. like pictures of family right but, you know my first radio show my first interview my first this etc oh. etc and then in moving to 1993 i had a flood no it rained it uh, it rained biblical proportions damn <laughs> yeah yeah hey 
I'm all right. So you said you had Kim Mitchell. Who were some of the other guests that you had at the U of M show? I had Long John Baldry. I hope you know the name. Uh, Long John Baldry, uh, more than one occasion. It was an afternoon show, and I can remember when Timmy spent the whole, there was three hours, the whole three hours telling stories of Rod Stewart, telling stories of Elton John, and with his British voice and he's just <laughs> and his recall and then he would tell stories of the blues early days we had Eddie Money on the early days um, a lot of the Winnipeg bands and it was let's let's focus on the Winnipeg bands let's do what we can and at the time this is the latter part of the 70s we had this phenomenal music scene and a few of the bands were fortunate to procure recording contract. I know like now even I, I see you championing uh, local pop music acts even. Uh, has this always been a conscious decision of yours to focus on local talent or is it just something that comes from inside, something that you actually you believe in? Well, I believe in the community and I believe that uh, somebody did me a solid, a big solid. I want to return those solids and help people along the way. It's the right thing to do. When you get picked up by 92, uh, by City, what was the shift that they brought you in for? Shift was all night. Ooh. All night. And it was fun. And it was the days of uh, 1 to 6, and it was uh, 4 o'clock in the morning that you'd do anything to stay awake. <laughs> and you'd have a security guard that manned the building. These are right. like the old days. And I would beg the security guard some days, can you go in the air and try to sound like me so I could catch 10 minutes? So I could catch 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, it was a different time. But it's like you, now you have all the resources of a commercial radio station, but from one to six in the morning, you, I, I have to imagine you have that same level of freedom as you would have had with your U of M show. You thought wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you okay. thought wrong. It, um, you had rules to play by. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, I know there's like CRTC guidelines and stuff like that, but was this was this an era where you were still coming in, pulling your own records, deciding what you were going to play during your shift? Let me put two fingers up and about that small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was uh, Yeah, about that small. I was just, uh, in all honesty, I was happy to be on the playing field. Right. I wasn't the guy that had to go to small town and not a shot at that. No. I'm doing it in my hometown and... I didn't have to change my name and become, hey, here's... Did you ever stop to think of what your radio name would have been, or were you just Howard? I was going to be Howard Shine. Oh, okay. I was okay. going to shine on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> shine on your crazy diamond. A play on um, Pink Floyd and yeah. what have you, but... Did it feel different that first time you went on the air on a commercial radio station? Was there any hesitation, any nerves yeah, or anything like that? There was an audience. Well, more so that the uh, university station had a very small, dedicated audience. I was skating for, if we could give a hockey analogy, <laughs> they called me up to the NHL. I don't know how many games they're going to get to skate in, but you know, it was a nice feeling. How long were you doing the overnights for? Because Gary believed in me. He gave me a shot. I would be doing overnights, but he gave me a Saturday night from 6 to midnight. Oh, okay. So I did, say I did four overnights, but he'd give me the Saturday night, which was a prime shift. That's a good one. Yeah. Now, did that cut into your hard partying lifestyle? I started after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, may, I made up for it. <laughs> or the party didn't start till I got there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> kind enough of my friends to wait for me. Was there any difference between your, your overnight show and that Saturday night show? Did you do things differently at all? The focus has always been music, so that was my pitch. Right. I would say no. You're seeing the same audience, and you want to entertain the audience in the same way. I tried to, in the early days, sound like I was stoned, so I would talk <laughs> a little slower. <laughs> some people say, you still sound like you're stoned. And, hey, man, is that your voice? <laughs> yeah, that's my voice. Man, it sucks. <laughs> well, don't, don't listen. <laughs> hey, man. It's amazing how many people listen to free radio and don't realize that they have alternatives. They have options. If you don't, if you don't like it, well, I I hear it a lot. <laughs> hey Howard, you suck. So why do you listen? Okay then. How do you deal with that? Because I mean, that's something I see. And, and listen, I'm I'm an outspoken, opinionated radio DJ. I've gotten my fair share of people who've messaged the station telling me they hope me and my whole family die. For me. I just take it as a sign that I'm, I'm doing the right thing. For 40 plus years, how do you deal well, with, with people having their, their say? When it hurts, when somebody you respect, mm. when somebody that you really respect calls you on something, right. and you know you went to the wall and did your best, that's when it hurts. When you started doing the commercial uh, radio aspect of things, were you still able, maybe uh, a little more difficult on the one to six overnight shift, but maybe on the weekends or as you progressed uh, through the day parts, did you still have the guests coming in doing the interviews? As much as I was able to, uh, different PDs had different philosophies, Right. different PDs got that, hey, this is a part of my pitch. And if you have a good guest, it makes for great radio. And great radio brings listeners. Hey, hey, that guy has so-and-so on. Guess who he has coming up? Did it make it a little bit easier having the machine of a commercial radio station behind you to get those people to line up? Uh, I think that uh, having the respect of the record company and the re record company going to bat for me because it made them look good with their superiors, whether it was down east or wherever. Who were some of the, the guests that you had in those early days at City? I think you could name pretty near anybody that if it wasn't live, it was on the phone. Were you ever nervous to talk to these people? You, you're, I think you're I was very... nervous uh, three times. One of the times was um, the gentleman that is Melvin, I was going to say his last name, it escapes me. He defended the Rolling Stones at Altamont. Oh. And he happened to be in Winnipeg at a speaking engagement where he was paid big coin. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was intimidating. Really? Bob Marley was a little intimidating. Sorry, yeah. you interviewed Bob Marley? Yeah. What What do you talk about with Bob Marley spiffs. in Winnipeg? <laughs> hey, man, what are the spiffs? <laughs> he was very high. He was very delightful, very articulate, and coughed a lot. <laughs> coughed a lot. <laughs> I think the only part in there that might surprise some people is the articulate nature. Brilliant. You, you have these preconceived notions of like, oh, pothead, stoner, blah, 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 blah. But he was a really well-spoken guy. Listen to the music. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, listen to the lyrics. Go online and Bob Marley quotes. Yeah. He's like, he, he was a brilliant man. When you're talking to a guy like that who you just, you know from his, his music, if nothing else, is a storyteller, as an interviewer, I got to imagine, you're just trying to get out of his way at that point. Well, at the end of the day, he's a star. He's right. the guest. You want him to shine. Not just Bob Marley, anyone. If you catch them on the right day and they want to just share those stories and you know how to smile and keep that conversation going and then ask the question that 
God willing, it has never been asked before. Here to the races. You got a home run. Did you get a cool story out of Bob? I know I got a lot of coffee out of Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob, tell me, <laughs> tell me, <laughs> well, we had, uh, I can't remember, it's like 40 plus years ago, but uh, he he did come to the table with something special. And you said that there were three times that you felt intimidated. So that's two. Who was the third one? And he was beyond, beyond, beyond kind, uh, Mr. Paul McCartney. Wow. Yeah. How did that go? How do we define a British gentleman? Paul McCartney. I was uh, blessed, fortunate, fill in the blanks, to be invited to the sound check. So I'm at the sound check and there's like five other people. He's doing some music and I just jump out of my seat and I'm air guitaring and he's on stage and he can see somebody air guitaring he doesn't know it's me so 20 minutes later I'm meeting him you're the bloke that was air guitaring <laughs> anyway he just whatever intimidation that I had ah this is a beetle he just made me feel mate do you need anything Paul McCartney's asking me if I need anything. <laughs> That's when you know that you're dealing with a, a true professional, though, because you, you see some musicians, right, they, they, they get caught up in their own hype, and sometimes rightfully so, right? You're a big deal. You're a star. You make great music. But it's those ones that, that, that achieve that level but they still talk to you like they're down here, like they're, they're equals with you, that that's when you know that you're dealing with someone who knows how the game gets played. Well, let me give you a funny story. So um, I'm interviewing Paul McCartney, the interview ends, and he gave me meat. Like mm. he gave me some incredible, incredible stories. Yeah. Even if he's been asked these questions umpteen times before, he still made it seem like the first time. So the interview concludes. We say our thank yous. And I said, is it cool to get, and this is before devices, so we would love a picture. Right, right. So I said, is it cool, is it cool to get some, uh, some autographs? What do you need? So I bring a few things. And I just happened, because I wanted to focus on the interview, I happened to have a tech with me. And the tech's job was to make sure that my levels were right and look after everything. The tech came along with me, met me at the venue, and the tech had a, a briefcase, and I didn't know what he had in there, mm. but he had vinyl. So, oh. so. So I say to McCartney, is it cool? And they introduced McCartney to tell oh, sure. So McCartney is ready to sign the text vinyl. And the first thing that he looks at, it's a bootleg. No. So McCartney looks at me, <laughs> and I don't know it's a bootleg, and he's looking at me and says, do you know what this is? I says, I don't know what you're talking about. McCartney says, it's a bootleg. So I go like this, po pointing my finger to the tech. I says, and what happened here? Uh, somebody's, Paul, somebody's putting me under the bus. <laughs> anyway, so the, the tech is trying to say, well, I bought this and he's, you know, he's lying, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Where McCartney could have been a jerk. Mm -hmm. He could have walked out in a huff. Rightfully so. Yeah. He signed some other things, but uh, it was a... It was a moment. He didn't sign the bootleg? No. no, no. <laughs> but I, yeah, I have to imagine for you, I mean, the good news is you've already got your interview. Like you said, you got your meat, you got your stories, your quotes. You, you've done that part. The professional part is taken care of. But for someone else to possibly rob you of a personal connection with Paul McCartney, that must have that got your blood boiling a little bit. Well, it's disrespect. All right. Like, I don't care how much money do you think Paul McCartney has. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue. 
you want him to sign a bootleg? Yeah. Like, not a great call. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've mentioned it a couple of times talking about uh, your interview style and about the importance of asking that question that hasn't been asked before. Or at least, you know, when you're talking to a guy like Paul McCartney, every question's been asked. You want the ones that have been asked just a couple of times. How do you go about putting together the questions you're going to ask in an interview, especially with some of these more tenured artists, the bigger stars? Well, in the case of Paul McCartney, I phoned a few friends and I said, I have 50 questions. Uh, this is a week before the interview. And then I happened to phone and I want to give them all credit that's deserved Burton Cummings. And I said, I call him Butch. I said, hey, Butch, talking to Paul McCartney. I've done my homework. I need a killer question. I need a killer question. He says, give me a day. Phone me back, gave me a question. It was killer. It broke the ice. Is that is that part of your strategy to open with something that's going to break the walls down a little bit with the artist? Well, I hope that when you're sitting down and you're speaking to them, if you come to the table properly prepped, they're going to elevate their game and they're going to engage with you as you engage with them. Hey, this guy's done his homework. This guy's a fan. This guy's genuine, as opposed to, uh, who produced the last record? We'll right. go online and look it up. <laughs> yeah. What does the band name mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you had one go? Because I know you're, you're a diligent guy. You're going to put the work in, whether it's Paul McCartney or the lead singer of a local band that's just looking for their first shot. But have you put the work in and still had an interview turn out not the way you wanted it to? Well, numerous times. A lot of back in the days, and this is not a slight of them, heavy metal bands back in the 80s were notorious party animals. Mm. And if I was talking to a Motley crew, the last thing that they wanted to do was do the interview. Right. So they'd be doing the interview and they'd be <laughs> drinking and partying, et cetera, et cetera. So they weren't focused. At least they did an interview. And in doing an interview, it wasn't live to air. It was taped. So you extract what you need. And nobody was to know that this was arduous task. Like I was babysitting, et cetera, et cetera. And a guy like back in the day when he was riding the highest, the high Billy Idol, mm. he made me work. Hey man, that's not good enough. Give me a better question. <laughs> he just I said, straight up call your questions. Yeah, up. I said, Billy, give me a better answer. <laughs> Give me a better answer. <laughs> what does Billy Idol say when you say, give me a better answer? Well, he, he saw that, you know, that I wasn't going to back down. Right. Yeah. And the Billy Idol was live to tape on TV, so there was no oh. editing back then. <laughs> so wait, so the give me a better question, give me a better answer exchange, that went on TV? That was edited, but, oh. the, but the meat of the interview right. it just elevated his game because I didn't back down. Hey, I'm trying to help you as you're trying to help me. Hey, it's Grant with Pippin Tech. Service. As we head into the holiday shopping rush, jocks everywhere are reminding listeners to shop local and support the businesses that give back. I guess this is the time to remind you that from Vancouver Island to Newfoundland, even Kugluktuk at Pippin Technical, from broadcast to podcast, we're your local supply shop from coast to coast to coast. And we're here for you every step of the way. That means assisting with the RMA process if you ever run into an issue under warranty, offering advice or assistance on the right gear for your application, hunting down a loaner to get you on air fast, even snapping a few pictures and color-coding the cables if you need to know what plugs in where. So, yes, it's likely we'll never have your package on your doorstep before you finish clicking submit. But unlike heading downriver... We'll never leave you without a paddle. Pippin Technical Service. Online at pippintech.com. We're not trillionaires looking for the next industry to kill. 
We build. Broadcast. Who are some of the artists that maybe surprised you with how good their stories were? You don't want to paint a brush with a certain genre of music, but um, heavy metal, there were some bands that might have had a cup of coffee that, man, this band is that story that's fantastic like at the top of my head and I don't want to paint them with a bad picture for example an autograph okay. which didn't really have stay around that long turn up the radio and yeah. Uh, yeah yeah they blew me away and there were a lot of uh, bands that were not one hit wonder one album release and whatever <laughs> happened to them this band has something yeah too numerous to mention that because somebody's on top doesn't mean that they have the great stories of course the McCartneys and the Elton Johns and people of that league that rarefied air but uh, some some of the up-and-comers were just fans of music and once you started that reporte it was a pleasure how do you go from interviewing billy idol brian johnston uh, paul mccartney back down to interviewing some of the smaller bands some of the the local bands or or up-and-coming canadian acts that haven't really broken out yet i i, I guess the question is treat how do everybody you, with respect that's the answer that's that's the secret well, is just not treating them like their level is just treating them well, like their people i want to be treated with respect, and they in turn should be respected. And I think uh, one should live by the mantra, do unto others as you would want unto oneself for yourself. And do I know, the game's a little different today, I don't know if in three months they could have the number one record. Right. Hey, that guy was nice to us, as opposed to, well, that guy treated us like a dick. We're not going to do anything with him again. Who's the band that you would say you talked to at their lowest point? That went on to achieve great success. Probably Brian Adams when he was doing disco. And really? I just saw something in him. We we hit it off. It's not all Paul McCartney's and Brian Adams with you. You also have rapport with your listeners. How much did you always enjoy getting uh, callers to, to call in during your, your show back in the day? Callers made for good radio when they had something to say. Right. Yeah, and the object at the end of the day is to entertain. If somebody can tell you a great story and it makes for good radio, go with it. At the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about, let's entertain. So when do you move off of the overnights altogether? When, when do you get that sort of upgrade? 1980. 10 at night to 1 p.m. 1 a.m., excuse me. Were you sort of a fan of these night owl shifts? Like, did you ever look towards the morning shows, the drive shows with, well, with uh, want? Gary had a vision for me, Gary Christian, that to do afternoon drive. And he had um, wanted me to do afternoon drive, but they had fired him. Oh. <laughs> so that never came to fruition. <laughs> he liked some things that I did, and he said, let's work together and right. get you to that level. Nobody else. Nobody else heard what Gary heard. <laughs> to everybody else, I was that third or fourth liner, if that makes any sense. The grinder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm always that grinder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go in the corner, take that elbow for the team. Did you ever sort of hold that in in spite? Like, did you ever think, like, why am I not getting moved up? Why am I being well, relegated to these nighttime shows? Well, it's a two-sedded coin. Um, a cliched but happy to be in a playing field mm -hmm. but I never thought that I was I never thought I was a morning man mm. but I always thought that I I did the 6 to 10 too yeah. but I never I needed somebody to work with me to get me to be consistent in the afternoon if I was able to have guests on on a regular basis 
that would help my pitch. Have you listened to the way that things have gone with satellite radio, where it is a lot more specialty programming and, and it shows where it is? Like, I'm going to have a guest every day or every week or however often the shows are. Have you ever listened to that or looked to that and thought maybe that's an angle or are you just really happy being here in Winnipeg and doing what you do? Well, I don't want to sound complacent, and I don't want to tip my own horn. And I listen to satellite radio, and I can hear myself on some stations. I hear some guys that blow me away. Yeah. They're absolutely incredible. And I hear some other people that say, are you serious? <laughs> this guy's, are you serious? <laughs> this guy would be lucky to be working in Moose Jaw or wherever, and they're on. One has to believe in oneself, and I believe that I could do it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I believe inside that I can do it. Is that still something that you would look to pursue in your future of radio? Um, or maybe podcasting? Well, I haven't thought about that. Never say never to anything. Leave every avenue open, every door that you can walk through. At the end of the day, if it's fun, and that's my most important criteria, it better be fun. You've been in Winnipeg for a very long time, and Winnipeg has been lucky Ever? to have Ever? some yeah. incredible concerts over the years. Are there any that you got to work with because of your affiliation with the radio station that stand out as, as really highlights of, of being able to be involved in some capacity? Always on a list is uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers last time in Winnipeg, which was uh, 2017, mm. because uh, Flea was available and he brought his A-game, and they were just so, so, so incredibly accommodating. I remember that tour, actually. I went to the Edmonton show uh, from, from Regina. I drove to Edmonton. I don't know why I didn't drive here. I drove to Edmonton. And, uh, yeah, I got to sit down with uh, Chad, the drummer. And it was the same thing. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, and maybe you can attest to this, but it just feels like in 2017, the Red Hot Chili Peppers don't really owe anybody anything. They don't need to do press. They don't need to do media. We know that they're good and they're going to go out and put on a great show. But it just felt like, yeah, the whole band had really stepped up in terms of, of reaching out and, and making themselves available. And coming across as good people. Yeah. Most importantly, good people. It's so much easier to talk to someone <laughs> when they don't suck. You know what I mean? Like talent, whatever. But when they don't suck as a person, it just makes it a lot more oh, It's fun. a great feeling. It's a great feeling. It's a greater feeling when you're a fan of an artist mm -hmm. and they're good people at the end of the day. Yeah. I don't want to be a fan of douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> you just described everybody that likes Kanye West's music. <laughs> <laughs> but me. <laughs> anyway, I think most importantly, two words I said before, just being blessed, having an opportunity to speak to some people that have touched my soul with their music. I was fortunate he's no longer on the planet. My favorite band ever is The Who. So The Who had broken up and uh, John Antwistle, bass player extraordinaire, with The Who is playing a bar in my area of the city. It's the afternoon and he's doing a sound check. I live five minutes from the bar. I said to John, do you want to come over and just order a pizza and tell me some stories? So, sure, mate. 
So he came over to my house. We're coming into my house, and I don't know he's going to come back there. Right. So downstairs, I happen to have this book on the Who. So I says to him, well, I'd love you to, I didn't even know I happened to have it out, I'd love you to sign it. That book's the biggest, I'm not going to swear, the biggest effing piece of rubbish ever. <laughs> he throws it in against the wall. <laughs> John, in a, John had a moment. They called him the ox. He had a moment. Was that a normal thing to just like talk to some of these megastar artists and just invite them to your place? Like, I would never well, imagine uh, that now. A, if you connect. Right. B, um, I'm not going to invite somebody back to my house if I'm not a fan. For sure. Yeah, oh, absolutely. somebody that I know that we connected. Yeah. When you feel inside that you connected. You've been doing this for a long time, and we are seeing... You know, with more corporate entities sort of condensing down the number of, of companies there are in radio, you are seeing more moves towards syndication, more let's get as many ads in as we can, let's try and make as much money as we can on a station. How do you feel is the ideal amount of talk on radio? Do you think that the jocks, the hosts should be able to talk for as long as it's interesting? Or do you think that tighter is better? Depending who's doing the talking. Right. And depending what pitch they're serving. If they're perceived as comedic, the first break of the afternoon, they don't have to be comedic. The second break, they don't have to be comedic. If they're perceived that way, the audience will listen for that comedic break. But when that break comes, talent should put it out of the park. You don't have to be funny every break, but make it count when you're doing that comedic break. That's always been my mantra. Don't open the mic every time and try to put it out of the park, but when you tell that joke, make sure it's a triple or a home run. They'll wait for it. Do you see radio now as losing some of the aspect of what you brought to the table? Because there are still the music gurus all across the country that, that do their thing. There's people like you, people like Alan Cross, people like Jeff Woods, who can just wax poetic and tell these incredible stories about the history of bands and their own interactions with bands and, and the meanings behind songs that paint a picture that the average listener may have never known before. But as I look, and I, I talk to a lot of younger people who are getting into radio now, and I see the clamps being put on some of these break lengths and stuff like that, it does feel like, to me, that that art might be fading a little bit. What do you think about that? I concur with what you had to say. I hope some PDs believe in the younger talent and their passion. You could be 22. You could read the books and done all the research. And if you could come to the air and tell a wonderful story, I want to hear it. And I forget things. <laughs> we all forget things. How you sell the tune. Hook me. Paint me a picture. Take me somewhere. Take me to that place, that magical, magical place. And how are we going to get there? You've been in radio for over four decades. You've seen things, good and bad, come and go in this industry. So I want to ask you, I want to I start on the negative side so that we can finish on the positive side. What is a trend that you've seen in radio over your time that you wish would go away? Mitigating the talent's ability to do what they do best. Having some program directors that just will not allow certain talent more than 25 seconds on a break. You hired me because, not me, but you hired someone because they're talented. You know what their strength is. Let them do that. Let them do that. Don't tighten the reins up. Come on now. 
Now, on the other side of things, what is a trend that maybe over the last 10, 15, 20 years you've seen coming through the industry that you think is a good thing for the way things are going? Program directors that allow uh, other day parts to have the morning show mantra of the way they entertain and the way they do things. What's the morning show mantra? You're allowed to be a little more creative. Oh, the okay. breaks are a little longer. Right. You could try to do whack, if that's your pitch, <laughs> wacky things or yeah. whatever your pitch is. Take that ideology to another day part and make it work. I get a lot of people who listen to this show who are either coming into the industry or fresh into the industry because they want to hear the stories of where some of the people they maybe even grew up listening to have come from and, and the things that they've gone through to get to where they are in these bigger markets and these bigger shows and stations. So I always like to ask, especially when I have someone who has a wealth of experience like you, to to give them some advice. And there's a couple of places that I would like to do that for you. Uh, the first has to be, I mean, you are a world-renowned interviewer. Oh, you're being kind. I, I Listen, we've, we all know. What would be some advice you would give someone who maybe, and again, doesn't matter who they're interviewing, some local band or, or a megastar musician, athlete, actor, actress, doesn't matter. What advice would you give to someone who is maybe preparing for their first interview with a celebrity? A, they're humans. And never forget that. B, treat them with the utmost respect. Do your homework. Try not to ask that dumb effing question like that. <laughs> Are you, you ask that? You ask that? There's a proliferation of information online. So don't ask things that anybody can procure online. Use your head. Think of something. Think of more than one thing. And you're going to get the right act in the palm of your hands. If you come to the party properly prepared it's with anything else you're going on a date bring your a game <laughs> i'm gonna bring my c game tonight <laughs> yeah see how that works <laughs> how do you in in 2020 what do you use as resources to do the research what, what, where there's some go-to's for you that maybe people can borrow from your process well a having a great network of friends the people that i hang with in 2020 is no different than I've hung with over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. My immediate peer group are people that love music slash entertainment. So our conversations are about music. And I'm living and breathing the industry and everything related to the industry. So it's, it's in my veins. It's my, it's my blood. It's my oxygen. It's the molecules that are dancing in this room. So that helps. Read Rolling Stone magazine. It's still not dated. I don't care what anybody says. There's still great bits there. Go to the UK Guardian. It's absolutely fantastic. There's numerous places online where you can... It, will get your head thinking. And then the other thing I want to ask is for people who maybe aren't doing a lot of interviews, but especially right now, we're seeing people are struggling with the radio industry in terms of keeping up their passion, keeping their fire, keeping the morale. And I say especially now because with all the syndication, there's layoffs, there's COVID, there's people who are trying to work from home. There are people who are working in empty buildings. They don't see another soul. There's people who've been in the same job for a few years and they don't know why they're not moving on to the next spot, the next station, the next gig. You've been doing this for 40 plus years. How do you find the passion every day or at least most days? because we all have our off days, to keep coming in here and just being 
happy and doing what you do? I'm blessed. I get up every day, and if it sounds cliche, and if it sounds like hokum, I mean this from my heart. I say a prayer when I get up. I say thank you that I got up every day, and I say a prayer for those I love and my appreciations. Gratitude is my mantra. I live and breathe it. And that helps when you're when you come into the studio and you sit down in front of the microphone. If it's my last show, yeah, who knows, right? Hey, I'm not stupid. This could be my last show. Let's go out with the best possible last show. I don't want to be the guy. Oh, you know, I could have done a better last show. <laughs> I want this. If this is my last show, I want it to be as great as possible. And. More importantly, and I've said this since day one, you never know who's listening. And now more than ever, somebody's anywhere in the world tuned the station in is hearing me for the first time. You got to make that impression. Yeah, and give them a reason to stay. Are there broadcasters you've seen a lot come and go over your time? Are there any broadcasters you would maybe point to for, go listen to this person, and not necessarily to take their style, but this is an example of how to do it right. In 1980 to 1984, I was the fourth liner at this radio station. We were the New York Islanders. We were the Edmonton Oilers. We were whatever sports... um, championship team that was um, the best of the best of the best. That was the best group of announcers that I have ever had the pleasure of being associated with. There's a guy in Montreal that's doing mornings by the name of Terry DeMonte. He's still on the air. It's beyond incredible. He's beyond incredible. He could work in any market that he that he chose to work in. I worked with uh, Brother Jake. He's no longer in radio. He was beyond absolutely fantastic. I worked with a guy named Terry Clausen. Beyond fantastic. Be the talents that are beyond fantastic. I worked with Andy Frost. People that are beyond, beyond fantastic. You're working with that uh, group of talent. It just elevates what you do. You're in, I'm in rarefied air. I don't care if I'm the fourth liner. I'm skating <laughs> with these guys. I'm skating with the big boys. Even the fourth liner was happy to be on the team with Gretzky in the day. Amen. And those were my Gretzkys <laughs> in uh, Messier. Very cool. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. I mean, I know if I if I got you the right smoke, I could probably get you to tell me stories for a few days. But uh, you I'll give gave you me one more. For, I'll give you one more for oh, the road. Okay. okay. Mid nineties, and the Rolling Stones are in Winnipeg, and. I don't know if you know the comedy duo, if anybody's out there, they're in heaven and they're causing mischief and a ruckus and they're doing their thing, McLean and McLean. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was friends with uh, Gary McLean and we were doing um, a radio show at a restaurant at Polo Park because the Stones were playing the old Winnipeg Stadium. This is where the Bombers used to play. So the... um, program ends and the stones and the sh- are coming on at say eight o'clock so it's seven o'clock and gary and myself are just hanging and we walk into the stadium before you know it we're talking to this person and they recognize gary and he's somewhat a celebrity and he's doing his shtick and he's he, he knows how to entertain and one of his great lines was um what part of FO don't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> what part of, anyway, he had a million of them. But, um, so the Stones show starts. So he says to me, and he dares me, and I have a cassette machine, mm. and the guy's back at the station. He says, tell the guy we're going to go live with the Stones. I says, Gary, this ain't going to go right. <laughs> uh, and he, and he baits me into it. Like, he just baits me into it. So I got one song. 
got another song, we got another song. So I get back to the guy at the station. It sounded great. I said, what should we do? He says, I don't know. And Gary says, continue doing it. So it's a half an hour, 40 minutes later, and I lose Gary in the crowd. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened to him. It must have been 50 minutes later, two guys. And if this was picture radio, Drew, you're a big guy. Guys that are bigger than you, (laughs) six foot eight, (laughs) pick me up. Literally pick me up, take me for a walk behind the stage. What the? What the? I thought they were going to beat the living daylights out of me. It sounds like something from the 80s Vegas. 90s Winnipeg. (laughs) (laughs) It was 90s uh, Winnipeg. And... um, I was asked to meet the tour manager, and everything was an F sharp. What the? F- I said, you know, we're trying to have some fun, and he didn't hear anything, and I'm like, like shaking. Yeah. And I'm like shaking. See how white the wall is? I was whiter than that. <laughs> I was, I was a whiter shade of pale. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll leave it at that. But I had some fun uh, numerous times with my friend uh, Gary McLean, and uh, he knew how to push the envelope and. Just wanted to share that with you. Well, you're still here with all 10 fingers and two kneecaps, so it couldn't have gone too bad. Uh, but bruises, uh, <laughs> thank, <laughs> the bruises still hurt 25 years later. <laughs> Howard Manstein, thank you for your time, man. You're a legend. God bless you. Appreciate it. This has been the Off Mic Podcast, brought to you by Pippin Technical. Tune in next week for more great stories from more great broadcasters. Follow the show on social media. Search Off Mic Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter and tell us who you want to hear on the show. I'm Drew Dalby. Thanks for listening.